Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You for showing up here today. I thank You for the anointing. I thank You for giving me utterance. Father, give each individual here a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of You and Your Word. Enlighten the eyes of understanding. Give us each specific rhema that we need to hear to make course corrections. Father, so we can cross the finish line and grab a hold of all the riches, honor, and life that Jesus paid for us to have. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to the first one, Drew. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Part 4. 2 Peter 1 and verse 2. I'm going to fly through this. We already know it. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that grace is charis, so we get the word charisma from it. Once you remember, it's also translated favor. But the thing I want to hone in on is advantage. Advantage. It really means advantage. Put yourself in a position of advantage. Your advantage increases with your knowledge of God. It's a byproduct. Go on, Drew. Skip over that one. Daniel 11, verse 32 says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. A byproduct of knowing God is that you will do exploits, which means to employ your talents to your greatest possible advantage. To employ your talents to the greatest possible advantage. It's a byproduct of knowing God. If you're not employing your talents to your greatest possible advantage, it's because you really don't know God and His character. I want to let that just kind of hang for a second, because this is the most important thing that we could do when we're talking about provision, which we're going to see here. Provision comes, it depends not on God. So we've been taught that provision depends on God. He's just going to provide. Like He's some sugar daddy. Provision, it, it goes hand in hand. Every, all things with God. All things with God are possible. With God. It takes two. God has to have somebody here on planet Earth using their talents and skills and abilities to produce provision or it's not coming for covenant people. It's not coming for us. So what we need to do is employ our talents to get ourselves in a position of advantage so that God can execute provision. That's His character. We've been studying that. It's not just going to be like, oh, rub the magic lamp and provision comes to us. It doesn't happen that way. We've been taught that, but it's a lie. Why do I keep saying it? Because we still kind of believe in the back of our minds, since we've been taught since we were in Sunday school, that Jehovah Jireh, my provider, God is going to take care of you. He's going to, take, he's going to make sure that you have manna. That's what He did for the children of Israel, that they had just enough. They never had extra. They had just enough. And you know what? The children of Israel never employed their talents to their greatest possible advantage. They were always complaining. They were always griping. They were afraid to execute. When God cued them up provision, they were afraid to execute and go do and get it. And they were afraid to use their talents to get it. That's why we've got to keep hammering on this because you know what? If, if we're going to see today, why does God pick some people to execute provision. Why do some people get picked to be like Joseph? We're talking about Joseph, why does he get to be prime minister? Why didn't he pick any of the Joseph's brothers? Why not Jacob? Why Joseph? We'll find out. Keep going. Genesis 22 and verse 8, we saw this Abraham and Isaac are up on the mountain. And they, uh, uh, Isaac's about to get sacrificed, so he's kind of worried about it. He says, you know, hey dad, where's the... Where's the burnt sacrifice? And he said, uh, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Go to the next one. And then he said, Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider, or the Lord will see to it. Go on, Drew. We saw the Lord my provider. This is important. The provider is two words. Provision. It means to see ahead. See ahead. To see ahead. And then it says in the Hebrew, the Lord will see to it. So he's got to see ahead and then he executes uh, that provision when he sees to it. Go on, Drew. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. Two, two, parts to being, two parts to provision. 
Two parts to, to God's character in providing. Pre- preparation and execution. Preparation, execution. Preparation, right? To make ready beforehand for a specific purpose and then carry out that purpose to finish it. Go on. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 says, It's written, Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. And the CEV is the next slide, Drew. This is the uh, contemporary English version. I like how it says it because this is really where most people are. It says, What God has prepared for people who love Him is more than eyes have seen, more than ears have heard, and it has never even entered our minds. Hasn't even entered our minds. We talked about the Karate Kid. Uh, the kids and I watched that movie, the whole thing, last night. They'd never seen it. And the whole time that, you know, the Karate Kid, he's sanding the floor and he's waxing the cars. And, you know, I forgot this. There was a bunch of cars. They were all, like, from 1940s. There was a ton of them. They were dusty. They'd been sitting in that guy's yard for who knows how long. That guy's house was built in World War II. It ain't been painted since. And it's in the 80s now. His fence has been up. You ever have a fence that just hadn't been stained in a couple of years? This thing hadn't looked like it had been stained in who knows how long. You know, and this guy, he says, you know, I'm your slave. All I am is doing, you know, is cleaning your stuff and maintenance in your stuff. I'm not learning anything. And he said, yeah, you are. Show me sand the floor. Well, he's, kicking, he's blocking kicks. Show me wax on, wax off. It's blocks, it's kicks, it's punches. Everything that he was learning, it, was, it didn't even enter his mind that he was doing preparation. And I want, to, I want us to remember that because what happens is the purpose. He, he, said, he and uh, what's the guy's name? Pat Morita. They made a deal. Pat Morita tells uh, the karate kid, if you do whatever I say, no questions asked, I'll train you for karate. Good deal? He said, okay, deal. He said, now wax my cars. Well, why do I? No, 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 no questions. That was the deal. You don't ask questions. The purpose was I'll teach you karate. I'll teach it to you. You do what I say. Don't ask a question. Made that kid a champion in like two months. He wasn't at the dojo. He wasn't, you know, you know, doing the little stretching. He wasn't learning the boxing case. He was prepping, and it never even entered his mind. Look, that's God's character. He, the way God prepares you, you could never duplicate that career path again. And if you look anywhere in the Bible, it never, this never duplicated. David's rise to, to become king, not duplicated. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not duplicated. Samuel, not duplicated. Joseph, not duplicated. Abraham, not duplicated. It's never the same. Quit trying to be like somebody else. Your path is different than everyone else's. Just do what God's asking you to do and don't ask any questions and know that you know what, I'm preparing for my purpose. Go to the next one. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 20 says, In a great house there's not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor, disgrace or disadvantage. Go to the next one. If a man purge himself, therefore, from things that put him at a disadvantage, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified or set apart and ready for the master's use, prepared to execute every good work. Our job is not to try and put ourselves in a position of honor. Here's the only thing we got to do in preparation time, to show up and be a vessel of honor, is purge yourself of anything that will put you at disadvantage or dishonor. This is important. This is the one thing that you have to do in preparation time is to purge yourself of anything that would put you at a disadvantage or in dishonor. Not just relationships. Anything that would put you at a disadvantage. Would, uh, would being sick put you at a disadvantage or an advantage? So is health being healthy advantageous or disadvantageous? 
Is being overweight a disadvantage or an advantage? We can get real practical with this. Is eating Oreos put you at an advantage or a disadvantage? See how easy this is? But we won't do it. And then we wonder why provision didn't show up. See, now I'm going to show you in the Bible why God picked Joseph. And it's because he, and in you, I'll show you every, you know, we're going to look through the whole Bible today. We will. I'll, I'll pick out whoever, whatever the Holy Spirit puts on me to go and show you. You can see it anywhere throughout the Bible that the reason that God picked anyone to do their purpose was because they purged themselves of anything that would put them at a disadvantage. They did it. Not talk about it. They did it. Go to the next one. 1 Peter 3 and verse 20. When the long-suffering, the, the quality of God that refuses to give up, He waited for Noah in the days of Noah. He waited for the ark to be prepared. God's waiting on you to finish your prep time. He cannot execute provision until prep time is over. Go to the next one. Genesis 15 verse 20. We'll pick up the story with Joseph here. This is the end of Joseph's uh, story. 56 years after he started his prep time, he makes this statement to his brothers. He said, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it or folded it back unto good to prepare me as it is this day to save much people alive. That was his purpose. He articulated his purpose and it was still going on this day. The execution of provision was to save much people alive. 56 years after he started. His execution to start saving covenant people didn't start for 22 years after he began prep time. And this is 34 years into it, he's still executing provision. Go to the next one. Here's Joseph's prepped execution timeline. He got his, his purpose was given. He had the dream. Then he went into prep time immediately and got sold into slavery. Then he went to prison. Remember, we did those two stories the last couple of weeks. Ten years in slavery, three years in prison. And where we left Joseph off last time was that, remember, the butler and the baker came and they had dreams and Joseph tried to work an angle. Do you remember? He tried to work man's system and put himself in a position of honor by telling the butler, hey, talk to Pharaoh about me, man. Let him know about me. And it cost him how long? Two full years. Go to the next one, Drew. Genesis 41 and verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years it cost Joseph for that mistake of putting himself in a position of honor. Now, is God done with Joseph? Well, he made a mistake. We're done. No, the purpose is the purpose. He chose Joseph. Would God throw away at this point 13 years of prep time because he made a mistake? Who else is he going to queue up? Provision's got to be made. God saw ahead. You know what? God sees ahead. He knows you're going to make mistakes and He gives you room for them. So don't be afraid to make them. But at the same time, let's learn from the others' mistakes so we don't repeat them and increase our prep time. Because as our prep time increases, provision is put off not just for us, for other people. If your provision hasn't been executed, it's probably because somebody else didn't complete their prep time. Because provision isn't for you. Your purpose is always to execute provision for other people. And if you don't have it, it's because somebody else didn't execute theirs. So keep that in your mind when you're going through your prep time. Man, this really stinks because my, where's my provision? Yeah, the longer it takes you, don't be the guy that's holding up the provision. Don't, don't put someone else in the spot that you're in. And it's hard because, you know what, after 2,000 years, or 1,700 years of the church teaching the way we're teaching, we, there's a lot of people that aren't getting provided for because this ain't getting taught. Go to the next one. And behold, there came out of the river, this Pharaoh, he's at ten to two full years, he dreams a dream, and he's standing by the river. And behold, there came out of the river seven well-favored kind, that's cattle, and they were fat-fleshed, and they fed in the meadow. 
And behold, seven other kind or cattle came up out of the river and they were ill-favored. They were lean flesh. They looked anorexic. And they stood by the other cattle on the brink of the river. And the ill-favored, lean flesh, that's an anorexic cattle, they did eat up the seven well-favored and fat cattle and Pharaoh woke up. Well, that was weird. Better stop eating that pizza and ice cream before I go to bed. And he slept and dreamed. He went back to sleep and he dreamed a second time. And behold, there were seven ears of corn. They came up one stalk. They were rank and they were good. They were full. And behold, seven thin ears blasted from the east wind. They sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh woke up because it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. So he calls for all of his counselors. He calls for his cabinet. right? And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. So he's got these two dreams. They're freaking him out. He calls all of his advisors around him the top minds on the planet at the time and they can't tell him what it means. So at this point, in verse 9, the chief butler speaks up and he said, Pharaoh, I do remember my faults this day. Remember when you were wroth with your servants and you put me in the, uh, in the ward of the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker? And we dreamed a dream one night, and, and I and both the baker, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of our dream. And there was a young man there, a Hebrew, who was a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dreams did he interpret. And it came to pass exactly as he interpreted it to us, so it was. Me, he restored unto my office, and the chief butler, you hanged. Now, two full years it took for Pharaoh to dream this dream, and that triggered the chief butler telling what happened to him. Is the chief butler trying to uh, hook Joseph up and get him out of prison? Because remember, Joseph said, tell him to Pharaoh that I didn't do anything wrong and get me out of here. Is that what he's doing? No, he's remembering, hey, look, I know, how to solve, I know a guy who could solve this problem for you, Pharaoh. How I many know if Joseph wasn't trying to work an angle, Pharaoh could have dreamed that dream two years earlier? Because God gave him the dream. Right? So here's a guy, he just says, you know what, Pharaoh, I got, I got an answer to your problem. And in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him, how? Hastily out of the dungeon. What? 13 years of prep time and now you've got an audience with Pharaoh and he's got to solve a problem. Do you have time to get ready at this point? Do you got time to get your stuff all together? He only has time to get shaved they put on some, get the prison clothes off and put some decent garbs on him and he's into Pharaoh's house. Bang. Just try to put yourself in Joseph's spot. Started out, <laughs> your brothers sold you into slavery and you started out scrubbing the toilets and taking out the trash. Yeah, that was 13 years ago. And you did. You, you, you worked your way up until you were the head guy. But you're still a slave, but you were the head guy. You're running all this guy's house. And you were increasing his business portfolio. And that was pretty good. And then the whole thing with the false accusation of rape. And now you're in prison. And yeah, you work your way to the top of the prison where, you know, you're the top, you know, prisoner in there. And, you know, you got a lot of freedom in the prison. 
but you're still in prison. And then all of a sudden, after 13 years, look, did Joseph go to college? Do you think he had time to get together a PowerPoint presentation to take it into Pharaoh? He don't even know what the question is. All he knows is he's in the dungeon, right, 13 years. All of a sudden, they come and tell him, shave, get a shower, put this on, we're going to see Pharaoh. Why? He don't even have time to try and figure out why he's going in there. It could be an execution. Would you think that all of a sudden I'm about to become prime minister if it was you? No, think about it. Whenever the boss calls or the principal officer or whatever you get called in there, your first thought is not, I'm getting promoted. Your first thought is, oh great, what is it now? Am I lying? It's absolute truth. Try to put yourself in his spot. At this point, if prep time In the inspirational moment, I'll put it this way. In the inspirational moment, we saw that verse in Ephesians 5, right? It said, live purposely, purposefully in the Amplified, right? And what did it say? Make the most of your time buying up every opportunity. If Joseph had wasted 13 years of prep time, and now it's time to do this, and what if that was just a fluke that he told those two dreams? Well, that's the only two dreams he ever interpreted. That was three years ago. What if he just got lucky? Because let's face it, his own dreams... His own dreams. Does he have a real good track record with interpreting his own dreams? I thought the stars were going to bow down to you, Joseph. You're in jail. You're a slave and now in jail. You don't, how are you going to tell me, interpret my dream, and then interpret Pharaoh's dream when you don't even have a good track record interpreting your own dream? And yeah, you might have got two right three years ago, but that was just lucky. You know what? If it was me, I'd be a little anxious going in to see Pharaoh at this point. I'll just be honest, I'd be scared. He doesn't know Pharaoh. Well, here we go. Last time I got called into the office, Potiphar sent me to jail. Didn't even hear my side of the story. And the time before that, I just went to tell Daddy where, the, where the, my brothers were. I got thrown in the pit. Here we go again. You ain't got time to be doing prep time now. When the opportunity comes, you, you, you do not have time. That's why you've got to do your prep time when it's prep time and be diligent about doing prep time. Go to the next one. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee, look, the word on the street is that you can understand a dream and interpret it. (laughs) And Joseph, he starts hedging right away. He says, well, it's not in me, but God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, in my dream, behold, I stood on the bank of the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven fat cattle, They were well favored and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cattle came up and they were poor and ill favored and lean fleshed. And uh, they were so bad, I never saw anything like this in Egypt for their badness, it says. And the the lean and ill favored cattle, they did eat up the first fat seven cattle. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known what they had eaten them because they were still ill favored and anorexic looking, just like they were at the beginning. And he's, Pharaoh's saying, you know, you'd think if the skinny ones ate the fat cattle up, they'd get fat. But, But they didn't. 
and, uh, and I awoke, and then in verse 22, I saw in my dream, and behold, there were seven ears of corn, I opened one stalk, and they were full and good, and behold, seven ears that were thin and withered and blasted with the east wind, they sprung up after them, and the thin ears ate up the seven good ears. And I told this to my magicians and wise men, but there was none that could declare this unto me. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, well, I've got to go pray about this. I need to do some prayer and fasting. Look, he don't have time for that. This is the opportunity. When the leader of the entire world asks you a question, you better have the answer or guess what's going to happen. He's go- the, at the, the best thing that could happen to him is that he just goes back to jail. That's best case scenario for Joseph right now if, he doesn't, if he's not Johnny on the spot with the answer. Not an answer, the answer. Listen, this is how it goes with God, okay? Prep time, prep time, prep time, you're Johnny on the spot. And if you fail, the stakes are really, really high. And who's it going to cost? Not just all the covenant people, but Joseph's going to pay a high price if he didn't pay attention to prep time. So don't be like, you know, complaining and moaning during prep time because that's what the children of Israel did. How'd that work out for them? Not that good. But we saw that every time Joseph gets knocked down, which you would think is a failure, he rises back to the top of where he could be in life. At the very top of wherever his situation takes him, that's where he goes because he stays on. He has a good attitude. He purges himself of anything that would put him in dishonor or disadvantage. And so Joseph says to Pharaoh, he said, uh, both of those dreams are one dream. He said, God has showed you what He's about to do. The seven good cattle are seven good years. The seven good ears, they're seven years. This dream is one dream. The seven thin and ill-favored cattle that came up after them are seven years. The seven empty ears blasted by the east wind shall be the seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, He showed it unto you. Behold, there's coming seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. Do you see how this cycle... Here's the cycle of prosperity, and then really it's poverty. Prosperity to poverty. Prosperity to poverty. It's part of the curse of the fall. We're in the middle of this cycle right now. Prosperity is over, and we're coming into how many every year it's going to be of poverty. This is nothing new. He said, the famine is going to be so bad, you're not going to forget the prosperity, how great the prosperity was. We're almost there. We've only, we only been on the downturn for a couple of months now. And we already done forgot about what it was like three years ago. Here's Joseph. He's in jail. Joseph, Joseph, you know what? They didn't have CNN down there in the, in the prison or Fox News or CNBC. He's not getting a daily paper down there. He's in the dungeon. How is he so astute? What, because what, where, where is this coming from? Where is this wisdom coming from? His covenant. He knew, he knew all along. Remember every time when, when Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him, he said, I can't sin against God. 
I'm not going to turn my back on my covenant. Go to the next one. In verse 31, And the plenty shall not be known in the land by any reason that the famine following, for it will be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Pharaoh, you only have a really tight window. This is pretty bold for uh, a prisoner who's a slave to tell the leader of the world, you've got a short window to fix this thing. Here's the business cycle. He's telling them a business cycle. Going to be prosperity? Then there's going to be fame and poverty. Now, watch this. Go to the next one, Drew. Let's ask this question. Did he just do everything that he was asked to do by Pharaoh? Pharaoh asked him, can you interpret my dream? He did. Right? Does he need to say anything else at this point? He did everything that he was asked to do. Right? I mean, right now is a good time to just stop and zip it. Right? I mean, to play it safe? Joseph doesn't do that. Because if he, if he stops right here, how do you know provision is not going to be executed? Provision will not be executed for him. Or covenant people. Because if he stops right here, Pharaoh says, man, that's a good job. You know what? The butler told me that you were a slave and in prison. You know, you're free to go home. home. Thanks. I just wanted to get out of here. I'm going home to see Daddy. Where I get my birthright back. Playing it safe. Life between the 40s. God hooked him up, gave him insight into the dream, and he could have just stopped right there, but provision never would have been executed. Been great for Joseph until the seven years of famine hit. Because the famine's worldwide. Watch how this kid, he's almost cocky. He is so confident in his prep time, which he didn't even probably realize it was prep time, but he's so confident that when his opportunity is in front of him, he buys it up. Why? Because he lived purposefully for the last 13 years and he did not waste his time. He made the most of it. Any time that there was a problem that he could solve, no matter how small, whether it was the trash getting taken out, the toilet getting cleaned, or the chief butler and baker getting their dreams interpreted, or Potiphar, the guy that put him in there, assigns him to take care of these two guys and he does it with a good attitude. No matter what. That's what he does. That's, what, that's his mode of operation. Purge himself of anything that would put him in disadvantage or dishonor. Is a bad attitude going to be advantageous to you or disadvantageous? Right. Do you all follow this? Now he opens up his mouth. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man who is discreet, says in the Hebrew, who will attend diligently and look well to and be wise, make good decisions, and set him over all the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up a fifth part, 20% of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Go on. And let them gather all the food for those good years that come and lay up the corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let him keep the food in the city and that the food shall be for store for the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and the land will not perish through the famine. Go on. Now, we got a real risk here, because here, who are you? Wait a minute. 
You're going to tell Pharaoh how to run the country? Is that not cocky? Where did, where did, where did Joseph get his MBA? Does he, have, does he have any training in government policy? Y'all found this? It's his opportunity. He doesn't stop with just what he was asked. He presents the solution. He, just giving him Pharaoh the dream is only presenting the problem. Joseph's mode of operation is wherever there's a problem, I'll present a solution. Remember we tracked this over the last couple of weeks. Whenever you see there's an opportunity, see a problem is not a problem for Joseph. What a problem is for Joseph is an opportunity to provide a solution. And when you find a problem, you should be really happy. Because you should be able to step up as a covenant person and provide a solution. I mean, this is a big solution that Joseph is, is providing right now. He didn't start there. If he didn't take his time and do prep time right, do you think that he would have been able to just step up to the plate here? What if he was 17 years old and thrown in front of Pharaoh and they just threw him in the pit, he was scrubbing toilets at, Pharaoh, or at Potiphar's house, and then the next day he shows up at Pharaoh's? You think he's going to be that bold to give the solution? He doesn't have built that track record yet. His track record on day one is I'm a rich brat that dimed out my brothers. You all know, you know tracking? So this is a risk. How's it going to go? It's pretty, pretty gutsy. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. You know, that's a miracle right there that everybody in the government thought that that was a good idea. Because wait a minute, who's this slave prisoner that's telling us how to do our job? And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find, can we find such a one as this in whom the Spirit of God is? Now that's a rhetorical question, because he couldn't find anybody that could even tell him what the dream meant, let alone come up with a plan on how to fix it. So he asked, he turns to all his advisors, and this is what he sees, watch this setup. He asked them, You guys got anybody that could beat this guy? Tell me now, who is it? Are they going to say anybody? Who, who's it going to be? Because none of them could come up with, with what, the, what the problem was, let alone the answer. And Pharaoh turns to Joseph and he said, For as much as God has showed you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. Here's the Hebrew for discreet. There's none that attend, attend diligently and look well to and make good decisions as you do. There's none that are attending as diligently and look well to my business and make good decisions as you are in this entire nation. This is the specific reason that God chose Joseph for this purpose. This is why God picked Joseph. Why did God pick Joseph? Because he attended diligently and he looked well to his prep time and he has a track record of making good decisions and he didn't back off when it came time for execution. When the opportunity was there, did he cower in fear? No, he made the gutsy move right, to tell Pharaoh what the solution should be. Now let's ask this question. Why does God pick anybody? Why does God pick anybody? For a specific purpose. Look in Second uh, Corinthians or Second Chronicles. I'm sorry. 
See, because we have in our, we just kind of have this thing of, you know, why did God, you know, God just picks one, and He sets one up, and He puts another down, and, and, and what, why? See, because if you don't know why God picks somebody for a specific purpose, how are you going to know if you're picked for a purpose, or why you got picked for a purpose, or even what is your purpose? Would God even pick me for a purpose? In 2 Chronicles, in chapter 16, and verse 9, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. Now, perfect doesn't mean that you do your religious checklist. It means that you're mature. You remember that? God's looking. He's looking for somebody to grow up so that He can show Himself strong on their behalf. Let's go to Genesis 17. 17, yeah. What was God's purpose in hooking up with Abraham? What was Abraham's purpose? Look in verse 7 of 17. God's talking. He says, I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to your seed forever after. What kind of covenant? Everlasting covenant. Here's the purpose. God is looking. See, why did it take 2,000 years to find Abraham? Remember, we talked about Job was like 500 years before Abraham. Why did God not pick Job to be the covenant guy instead of Abraham? No, he knew God. He was sacrificing to God. Do you remember what Job did with his kids? What was Job doing with his kids? He was always covering for them. Did he teach them anything? Flip a page over to Genesis 18, and we'll start in verse 17. This is where the Lord is uh, visiting Abraham right before Sodom and Gomorrah is going to get taken down. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I'll do, which is going to fry Sodom and Gomorrah? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now underline verse 19, because this is why God picked Abraham for an everlasting covenant. For I know him. And he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, the covenant, to do justice and judgment, make good decisions, and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he's spoken of him. Why did God pick Abraham? Because the purpose was for an everlasting covenant. <laughs> That's why God didn't pick Job. Job didn't teach his kids. He says, I know Abraham, he's going to teach his kids. An everlasting covenant is for this generation, the next generation, the next generation. I've got to find me a guy that's going to teach his kids this covenant and not going to let it slip. Why? So that I can do everything that I promised him that I could do. Why does God pick one? Why does God pick somebody? What was the whole thing about it? Was Abraham going to be diligent in prepping his kids for the covenant? Was he going to look well to the covenant? He said he's going to do judgment. Is he going to teach his kids how to make good decisions? Is he going to execute the purpose? Yeah, here's a guy that I know will not 
let this slip. And because of that, then I can execute all the promises that I made to him. Why does God pick somebody? He's got to find somebody that will attend diligently to what the purpose is, do their prep time, make good decisions, and not be a back off of execution. Who else? David. Turn over here to Acts. Why did God pick David? Why did God pick David to have an everlasting throne? That Jesus would be the son of David. That the house of David would rule forever. Why did God pick him? Acts 13. Was David God's first choice? Let's just ask that question. No, David wasn't God's first choice. Who was first choice? Saul was first choice. Saul didn't execute. Saul didn't like prep time. Saul didn't like to be diligent. Saul didn't look well too. Saul didn't make good decisions. Saul didn't stick with his purpose. He went and did Samuel's purpose. Saul, he, he, he got tired of waiting on Samuel. He got tired of waiting for provision, so he went and did sacrifice himself instead of letting the prophet do it. David's God's second choice. Verse 22 of Acts 13, it said, And when he removed Saul, he raised him up David to be their king. Why? Why did he pick him? Why did he pick David? To whom also he gave this testimony. Here's why. Because he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart which shall fulfill or execute all my will. Why does God pick one and not another? Execute the will. Somebody's going to execute. Somebody's going to put the time. He's after my own heart. He's after it. He's after it. He's after it. And then he's going to execute. Was David perfect? No. Adultery, killing, murdering. Was Abraham perfect? No. Lying, pimping out his wife, hooking up with Hagar, the, the maid. God don't care about your little behavior checklist. He needs somebody that will be serious about prep time, somebody that will be serious about executing uh, the provision. Who else? How, how, old was, how old was David by the time that he got his purpose given? Anybody know? 16. 16 years old. Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel. First time God taps Samuel on the shoulder, he's 8 years old. 8 years old. Why does God pick Samuel? 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Flip over to chapter, our same chapter, verse 19. And Samuel grew... And the Lord was with him. And listen, what did Samuel do? He did let none of the Lord's words fall to the ground. Why does God pick Samuel? 
He's eight years old. And Samuel understands that the Word of the Lord is precious and he doesn't let any of the Word slip through his fingers. When God tells him something, even if he doesn't understand all the ramifications of it, he doesn't let it slip through his fingers. It's precious. Now, is he talking about the written Word? No, he's talking about the spoken Word. Rhema. His own purpose. Your own purpose. It's precious. Don't let it fall to the ground. Here's a guy. Why does Samuel execute? Cause, and you'll watch, watch this. It's back to diligence every single time. Abraham, diligent to teach his kids. David, diligent to go after my heart and execute my will. Samuel, diligent not to let my words, my rhema fall to the ground. Joseph, there is none that are, will attend as diligently as you will. Remember the parable of the talents? Let's look at that over in Matthew 25. Why does one guy get five talents and another guy get two talents and the last guy only get one talent? Why does God do it like that? He just likes the guy with five better? Verse 14, Matthew 25 says, And for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one, to every man according to what? His several ability. He gave to every man according to that man's several ability. The guy that got one talent and it proved out to be true wasn't diligent enough to do anything with his skills, talents, and abilities to use them to his greatest advantage and execute provision. He went and buried it in the ground. The other two guys, they went out there. Not only were they, they took a risk. It was a big risk because it's not even their stuff. It's not their talents. They're using somebody else's stuff to make money and execute provision. It was given to them into their care from their master. And all of them knew that the master was a hard man. That he reaped where he didn't sow. Every one of them knew the same thing. The same master, same guy. And the one guy who was afraid and not diligent and he was lazy, he buried his stuff and guess what happened to him? The servant shows up to the master and the master says, you know what? Take what he does have and give it to the people that already have more. Because what you have and you bury it, it will be taken from you. Don't get tired of attending diligently to prep time. Don't get tired of purging yourselves of anything that would put you at disadvantage. Don't get tired. Look well to getting rid of anything that would put you in a position of dishonor. That's a, that's a big enough job in itself. Instead of trying to angle to get into a position of honor, just keep doing prep time and keep doing purging yourself of anything that would put you in disadvantage or dishonor. An execution of provision is going to happen. Go to the next one. In Genesis 41 and verse 40, it says, Joseph, you're going to be over all my house, and according to your word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Is this execution yet? No. No, this isn't execution. Now, guess what? (laughs) He's like the dog chasing the car. You caught it. Now what are you going to do with it? This is bigger than you can handle, Joseph. You got to run the most powerful country in the world, and you got seven years to fill up the storehouses, which aren't even built yet, 
and administer this program so that you could save these people in the seven years of famine. All right, you, look, you're the man now, big boy, it's all in your hand. This is, this is even worse than he bargained for because he just wanted to go home and he's thinking he's going to run the family business. Instead, he's running the most powerful country in the world, the biggest economy. The thing's about to go globally into the tank, and he's the only one. He's given full authority, but also responsibility to make sure this happens. The enormous size of this task. Well, you stuck your foot in it now, Joseph. How are you going to tell the guy, no, I don't want the job? Does, does Joseph really have a choice at this point? He backed himself into a corner. Believe in God. I don't know what's worse. Being a slave? Then going to prison? What was Joseph's responsibilities in prison? What's the pressure on him? Is there any pressure on him? There ain't no pressure on him. Is there pressure on him now? What if he doesn't perform what he said? What if he doesn't execute the plan that God gave him? But he's like, whoa, did that just come out of my mouth? I can't believe I just said that to Pharaoh. What am I thinking? If I could just shut up after the dream, I could have been on my way. Now we're in it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Is now the time? Look over here in Hebrews 10.38. Because this is where most people do. Now the just, or the righteous, the equitable, shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Most people draw back. Just the absolute unvarnished, nasty, disgusting truth is that most people draw back. And I'm specifically covenant people draw back. You cannot... This is why God picks somebody for a purpose because He says, I know you. I know you. And I know you're not going to draw back. I know Abraham. He's not going to draw back. I know Joseph. He attends diligently. He'll execute. I know David. He'll fulfill or execute my will. I know him. If you haven't been given a purpose and you don't know a purpose and you don't know that God gave you one, or not, you might want to. Red flag. God knows you probably better than you know you. Are you going to draw back? Because really, who can afford? Can, could the covenant line afford to have Joseph draw back at this point? You understand, when when God told the serpent that the seed of Eve, Jesus, was coming and was going to bruise his head, and the serpent would bruise the seed's heel, Satan went on red alert, we've got to stop the seed. If the seed is what's going to take me out, then I've got to stop the seed. And he's been trying to kill human beings ever since. And the famine? Why is there famine? Because he's going to try and stop the seed. And God's got to get the seed to the finish line. He's got to get the covenant 
You've got to get it lined up and get this line going until he can get to Mary because she's the only one that he knew would execute that purpose. Right? Who's going to back? You know, I've got to find me somebody that won't back away from being a virgin and get impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She's 16. Pull back and look at this thing from the big picture. Every time that God taps somebody that we read about in the Bible that, ooh, they're the big heroes. They're regular folk that didn't draw back and weren't afraid to execute when the time came and they weren't afraid to do the prep time and their hearts were after God. They were after their covenant. Everything was pursuing the covenant. And they weren't about to draw back when it, when it was big and it was scary. They, they knew their God. Remember, they that know their God will do exploits. They that know their God will employ all their talents to the greatest advantage. They that know their God will not draw back. You can't draw back, you can't draw back. And if God knows you'll draw back, He can't give, He can't entrust the purpose to you. If you've been given a purpose, that means God knows you. If you don't know what your purpose is, get with Him and find out. What's going on, God? I don't know what my purpose is. Do I have one? If I don't, why not? Is it because I wouldn't execute? Is it because I won't be diligent to do prep time? Is it because I'd be afraid and and I'm not just... you know? I mean, Joseph started out, all he did was provide solutions to problems like what? Domestic stuff. Wherever he was at. Then he went to prison. What kind of solution could he provide in prison? I don't know. Clean it up. Organize it. I, I don't know. But whatever he could see that he could put his hand to to fix in the environment that he was in, he did it. And if you look at that, didn't David do the same thing? I killed a lion, I killed a bear, and I killed Goliath. He didn't start out with Goliath. I, I will take down any... You know what? Whatever, whatever issue is in front of you, whatever problem, see it as an opportunity... Go to God, get the solution, and apply it and execute the solution and move on to the next one. Because it's all just building and just that's prep time to the next one. It's prep time to the next one. And just keep going. And just keep going. And don't draw back. Go on. Verse 42 of Genesis 41. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a chain of gold about his neck and he made him to ride in the second chariot, Air Force Two, which he had, and they cried before him and they bowed the knee and they made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is scary. Does Joseph have a safety net? Look, if it goes bad, we're going to kill the Hebrew boy. Is Pharaoh going to take the fall for that? And you know none of the government officials are because they didn't make him. They'd be like, well, you know, we can't blame Pharaoh because he's Pharaoh, but it wasn't us. We, none of us recommended that cat. And the butler's thinking, I hope he performs because I'm the one that told Pharaoh about him. Don't draw back. He's still not at execution yet. You know what this tells you? You know what? You're going to get to the point where you could draw back. He still has seven, eight, nine years of prep time before he gets to execution. All of a sudden, prep time just kicked it into a whole nother realm. And it's really, really scary. He just got handed, like, you know, a $20 trillion account. Here, I know, Joseph, run the global economy. It's all on you. 
If God would entrust the global economy to one covenant kid way back then, would he not entrust the global economy to some covenant kid right now? Who is it? Who's going to not draw back? Is this being taught anywhere? Do we have the prep time in place? Have we done all the work? Are we diligent? Are we not afraid to execute? Who is it and where are they? Go on to the next And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, but without thee shall no man lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Man, he just keeps piling it on. But what he didn't do is you notice that Joseph is not handcuffed in any way to implement the execution of provision, is he? God will put you in a spot where, yes, it is scary, but you will have all the authority and the power and the dominion to execute your purpose. Go to the next. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paniah. And he gave to him a wife, Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. And Joseph went out all over the land of Egypt. Keep going. And Joseph was how old? Thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and he had a party. Because, whoo, I'm out of jail. Whoo, I'm out of slavery. Oh, I got Air Force Two. I'm going to go for a ride. No, he went throughout all the land of Egypt doing what? Go to the next one. In the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth handfuls and he gathered up all the food. Joseph immediately went to work. He didn't celebrate. He didn't have a party. I don't have to worry about my own personal finances anymore. I got some really cool clothes. I got a new ride. And check out the bling. No, he's going to work. And he gathered. Now I want you to notice in this next couple uh, verses how many verbs that Joseph did. He gathered up all the food in the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. And he laid up the food in the cities, the food in the field which was round about. And he laid up the same in every city. Keep going. And Joseph, then he went and gathered the corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering it for it was without number. And unto Joseph, now he's going to work, then it switches back to family life. Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, which uh, the daughter of the priest to own bear unto him. Keep going. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, he said, has made me to forget all my toil. He's still in prep time. But all of a sudden, prep time kicked to a whole nother level and he isn't in toil anymore, is he? He was diligent to work for Pharaoh. I mean, Potiphar. He was diligent to work for the keeper of the prison. And now, Pharaoh has put him in charge. He's diligent and now he's working for no man. Is he? The buck stops with him, doesn't it? He says, you know what, now God, you caused me to forget my toil. Is he still working? Is he still providing solutions? Is he still being diligent? Is he still not drawing back? Is he still executing? Yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden, it's not toil anymore. It's fun. And the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God, he said, had caused me to be fruitful or productive in the land of my affliction. No, back up here. The land of his affliction was where he did all his what? Prep time. His prep time. God caused his prep time to be fruitful. Because he never walked away from it. He didn't back away from when it was time. The opportunity came. He didn't get scared. 
And he stayed at it year after year after year after year. And when the opportunity came, he didn't back away. Yes, it's very scary. He didn't draw back. He executed. And now he caused me to be fruitful when I did my prep time. Go on. And the seven years of plentiness were in the land of Egypt. They were over. And the seven years of dearth began to come and according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all the land, but all the land of Egypt there was bread. It's working out so far. Keep going. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto the Egyptians, Well, I handled it. Y'all come over here and I'll take care of you. Is that what he said? He said, Go to Joseph and whatever he says to you, do. Listen, Joseph had better been attending well to what his plan was or else there's going to be food riots. That's just the beginning. They're going to kill him. Where did he send him to get food? Joseph, if Joseph hadn't produced what he said he was going to do, if Joseph wasn't diligent to do and execute the plan that God gave him to lay out to fix this global economy, Joseph is a dead man. The stakes never get less when you're doing the purpose of God. The stakes never get less. You know what the stakes are? Provision for a whole lot of people. Go on, next one. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened up the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. Keep going. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy corn because the famine was so sore in all the land. Satan is out there trying to kill the seed. And with killing the seed, he'll kill everybody else. He don't care what the collateral damage is. And if it wasn't for Joseph now, execution day is here. Because remember, his execution, his purpose was to save much people alive. This provision that God begins to execute right here in verse 57 was 22 years in the making. God sees ahead. He's the one who sees ahead. Provision. 22 years he saw ahead. How long it was going to take to get Joseph to the spot where Joseph could execute the provision. I know him. He won't draw back. But we got a lot of work to get there. God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. How long did God wait in the days of Noah? 120 years. How long did God have to wait for Joseph? 22 years. How long is God waiting on you? And prep time doesn't even start until you get your purpose. And if you don't, you cannot articulate your purpose, you got big time problems. Not just you, but how many people are not going to be provided for because you're just what? Could God execute provision through you? If you don't know your purpose, could God execute provision through you? This is not a quick fix. It's not, it's not a quick fix. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, is not a quick fix. The whole thing is the Lord sees ahead and executes. There's no quick fix. There's no rub the magic lamp. There's no pixie dust. There's no in the name of Jesus, my financial miracle is coming. How long are we going to continue just not doing our prep time, not continue being diligent, not continue to purge ourselves of anything that will put us in disadvantage? How long will we do that? And then wonder why we can't why, 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 where's my provision, God? I, this ain't the covenant. It's absolutely the covenant. Because the covenant's reciprocal. Whatever you put into it is what you can get out of it. Did Joseph put 100% in? Yeah, he put 100% in. Even with his mistakes and all that. Did Abraham put 100% in? Yep. David, Samuel, 
We didn't even talk about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We didn't talk about Jesus today. We didn't talk about Esther. We mentioned Mary's name. See, you could be one of the ones that God's looking to and from all over the earth. He's looking. He's looking. Who is the one that I can use to show myself strong to? Who is the one that will execute my will? Who's the one that will look diligently after the prep time? Who's the one that will make good decisions? Where are they? Who's the one that won't draw back? And I don't know where I am in the cycle of prep time to execution. I don't know where you are. I don't even know if you're in the cycle. I know I'm in the cycle of prep time, and mine's taking longer than I want to. But I'm not going to draw back. And I know that any day now, I could be standing in front of Pharaoh, God help me. Now what? I don't... uh, Right? I'm sure Joseph was like, now what? What? You want me to do what? And then it just comes out of his mouth. Yeah, great. Now I got to do it. Thanks, God. How about you just like cut me loose so I could go home and have a good life? Any day, you could be getting called up to Pharaoh. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Are you ready? Because when, when the call comes, it's going to be hasty. You ain't even going to have time to call home and tell them what's going on. It'll be the after-action report. Guess what just happened today, baby? What? I'm not in the global economy. What? What? A lot to think about. I appreciate that God lays out for us what His character is and that everything is an instant. And what I really hate is all the ministers that have told me that it was just a quick instant fix like microwave popcorn that have taught me that over all the years. I really hate that. Because for a lot of years, I get frustrated at God for not showing up with my provision and the whole time God's waiting on me. There's so many things in our society today that are distractions that put us at disadvantage that we just will not purge ourselves from. And I don't know why, except that we were raised that way or it's culturally acceptable or whatever. And you know what, you just need to make some hard decisions to purge yourself of anything that will put you in disadvantage. I can't do it for you. God's not going to do it for you. And if we don't do it, you'll never get to the point where you're executing provision for yourself or other people. That's rough. I just want to have a good, feel-good message. Me too. You know when you feel good? Do you think Joseph felt good? We're going to find out next week when his brothers come to get food because they say, why are we going to sit here till we die? There's food in Egypt. And he sees his brothers and he can execute provision. Did he feel good? How that make you feel? If you could save covenant people. Because you did the prep time. Because you were diligent. Because you didn't back away when it came time for execution that people are going to be saved. Rescued. They could feed, eat, and get their bills paid. How's that going to make you feel? 
Great, a whole lot better than me giving you a three points and a poem, rah, rah message today. You'll feel great. Keep your eye on the ball, baby. Somebody's got to be running the global economy. And if it was a covenant kid back then, I know the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. The covenant kid right now. Stand your feet. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word sealed in our hearts. Thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank You for showing us in Your Word how You operate. So that we don't... It just, it, it just diminishes the frustration level and uh, thinking that we're not getting anywhere and thinking that we're just spinning our wheels. and it just, uh, it just takes all that away. And help us to just focus on the one thing that You asked us to do, which is purge ourselves of anything that would put us in disadvantage. Holy Spirit, bring that back to our remembrance this week as we make little choices and big ones to purge ourselves of anything that would put us in disadvantage. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.